why the family of God is important is simple. The why of we, the reason we do anything in behalf of God is because it's for the purpose of God. The why you became a Christian all revolves around the purposes of God. God did not save you so you wouldn't go to hell. God saved you so that you could live for him every moment of every day, fulfilling his purposes of bringing his kingdom on earth as he's already spoken it in heaven. And so when we talk about the why of family, why we do family, it all revolves around the purposes of of God, what God desires, what God longs from it, and what God wants to do in it, and what God wants to do through it. And so when you think of your Christian life, stop thinking about you and start thinking about the purposes of God. He did not save you from hell. He saved you for eternal purposes, which he's designed to bring his kingdom here. And so when we start talking about the why of doing family, I want you to think about the purposes of God. Why do we do family? Because only the family of God, the body of Christ, the church itself can fulfill God's purposes on this earth. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You've heard it before. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. If you've ever read Romans 1 through 11, Paul's done a pretty good job of of creating some theology around God and around Jesus and the work that he did of salvation, of saving us for his purposes. Right. Out of it. And so it's he's something. So in view of what I've just written of God's mercy of loving you and saving you when you didn't deserve it, in view of God's mercy on you, I want to implore you to now offer, give back your bodies, yourself, your personhood every moment of every day as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is how you worship God fully. So how do we worship fully? By saying every day I wake up with the desire to give myself back to you so that in my actions, in my life, in my thought process, in everything that I do, I am moving towards fulfilling your purposes. You were saved for the purposes of God. You were ultimately brought into relationship with him. Yes, it's a gift to you, but for his purposes. To do as he wills and as he pleases. And we do it in the context of family. We do it in the context here. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I I can't in my own strength, independent of anyone else. I can't do I can't change the world. I can't change what I live in. God's desire is is the family of God. He raises the family up to change the world around us. A guy named Rodney Clapp, most of you have probably not heard of him. He said this, the family as a narrow social unit is not God's most important institution on earth. 
So what he means by narrow social unit is the nuclear family of mom and dad and two and a half kids. Right. Two and a half, three kids, whatever it is. One, two, three, five, six, seven kids. Right. The family is a narrow social unit is not God's most important institution on earth. Rather, the church, the body of Christ, the family of God is the first family. It is priority. Right. The family is not the social agent that that most significantly shares and forms the character of Christians. The nuclear family is not the primary vehicle of God's grace and salvation for a waiting, desperate world. Rather, the church family, the people of God functioning together, interdependent upon one another, is God's agent commission to fulfill these functions. It is the church that brings salvation to the world through the power of Jesus. It is the church that disciples the followers of Jesus. It is the church through which God moves to fulfill his purposes. The primary institution on earth is not your personal family. It is the family of God. Yes, our families are important. They are our priority. We give our time and energy to raising our children, to protecting and guarding and fighting for them. Yes, but it's all in view of how it's informed, how our family is informed by the body of Christ, the family of God. What do I mean by that? Think about this. If I were to say to you today, what's the most important identification in my life? That I'm Steve Hambrick, Terry Hambrick's son, or that I am Steve Hambrick, the son of the living God, the father. Which one would you say is the most important Self-identification that I have. Most of us in this room would say, what's most important that you know yourself as the son of God, the child of God. And we know this because if my dad, Terry Hambert, comes to me in a crazy moment and says, hey, see Greg Freeman over there? And I'm like, yeah, dad's like, go kill him. I would say in return, well, God, my father doesn't want me to do that, so I can't because it says thou shalt not murder a long time ago. My dad's like, no, no, you got to, you got to. I'm your dad. You were my son. You have to do it. I say, no, no, no. God, as my father in his family, is my priority. My identification is primarily wrapped around and focused on who I am as a son of God. I can't be disobedient to him. Sorry. In my life, when I gave my life to Jesus, in that moment, there was a shift from my priority being my relationship with my personal family to my relationship with God. He is the priority. He comes first. And everything he tells me to do comes first. If you go back to the Old Testament and you look at how they identified themselves, right? They would come and say, yes, I am so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, right? I am, I am David, the son of Jesse. That's an identification. But he would come and say, but this But what trumps that is the tribe that I'm a part of. This is my tribe and my tribe trumps who I am, my family. But even beyond that, what trumps my tribe is that I am known and we are known as the people of God, a covenant people in relationship with Yahweh, Jehovah, the one God. 
So my identity in the Old Testament is, is people of God primarily, right? The body, the people of God, the family of God. Secondarily, the tribe, a vintage 242 that I'm a part of. And third, the third down here is, that I, is Randall, Steve, and Anna, Catherine, and Sarah. We are important. But to be honest, the people of God, the church of God, and the family is more important. Takes preeminence and priority. And to be honest with you, that is not what our church culture has taught for over the last 50 to 70 years. Last 50 to 70 years, it says, no, it's the individual family unit that's most important. The nuclear family is where you devote the best of your time, the best of your energy, and the most. And if you don't do anything, if it impacts them negatively. And what happens in turn is that we have made an idol of our families. We've made an idol of our families. We don't do things for God because of the fear of how we'll unsettle our personal nuclear family units. We're not obedient to God. We literally balk at fulfilling God's purposes because of how it's going to affect my family and my time. We literally balk. We say, no, we've deified family. We've deified our children. Listen, listen, some of you in this room have made an idol of your children. They are first. They come before your spouse. That's sin. They come before Jesus. That's sin. We've made an idol of our children. We've made an idol of our family, our nuclear unit, right? And we don't, we say, if we only do things with the body and the family of God as long as it doesn't kind of infringe on our own personal family. And yes, there are moments in time where I've got to devote specific energies to my, yes, I get that. But you know what I'm talking about. There are things you say, I won't do because of fear. I fear what's going to happen to my kids, what's going to happen to me, whatever it may be. And we see in Scripture all the time, we see Jesus calling people out, calling them away. They didn't just have kids. They had grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles. They've got livestock they got to take with them. they got to leave one place, go through the desert, go through the desert to get to the destination. I mean, God the Father took his own family and sent them on a 40-year jaunt through the desert knowing that some of them would die in the process. God's movement in our lives is to fulfill his purposes and our personal family unit must submit to the purposes of God and ultimately to the family of God. Listen, you don't like that. I don't either. I like my I like to be selfish. I like to just hang out with my wife and my kids. I like to not do things that infringe upon that that may be dangerous and risky. I get that. I don't listen. I don't go, oh, Jesus, let me live risky today so that my children may get hurt or die. I don't do that. But the call of God is clear. Think I've called you. To fulfill my purposes because you are now part of the family of God. And that trumps even your own personal family. The why is simple. I engage, we talk about being part of the family of God because it's only the family of God that can fulfill the purposes of God. I mean, you look at 
And you see this, and I don't have to really dive into this too hard because it's pretty self-explanatory. Matthew 10, this is the part of the Bible you don't read. You get to it and you kind of skip over it when you're reading. It says Matthew 10, verse 35. For Jesus, Jesus is speaking, for I have come to turn a man against his father. I've come to turn a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father more than me is not worthy of me. Pay attention. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This isn't easy, is it? Like you love your kids more than you love oh anything else. Like you feel it in the bones of the deepest part of your being. And Jesus is coming saying, if you love them more than you love me, if your children keep you from being obedient, if your children keep you from fulfilling my purposes, if your children keep you from spending time in the, investing as the family of God and the kingdom of God, then it's wrong. Why are we focusing on being all in a family? It's only the family of God that fulfills the purposes of God. It's only the family of God. Our family unit does not fulfill the purposes of God ultimately. God moves through his church family, his body. That's why he calls it the body. We have a nose. We function as the ear. We function as the, as, the, as the brain. We function as the feet. We all have these places and these purposes within the body of Christ as the family of God. It's God's family unit that he brings together that fulfills his purposes. The picture, as I was praying that I had of this, was from Ezekiel 37. Again, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but it's the Valley of the Dry Bones. And God brings Ezekiel into this valley and it's literally full of like dry bones are sitting there. And he says, hey, son of man, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel looks back and says, oh, sovereign Lord, surely only you know. And then God begins to do his God thing, begins to take these dry bones, begins to form them, right? Like plays Legos with them, starts putting them back together, right? And all of a sudden you get all these skeletons and all of a sudden he says, starts putting like sinews and, and, and muscles on them, right? All of a sudden now they're, they have flesh on them and hair. And, and now there's a, it's a thousands of people who are standing there. And he says to him, he says, now Ezekiel prophesies, speak to these bones that they may live. And Ezekiel 37.10 it says, so Ezekiel, I prophesied as he commanded me, breath entered them. They came to life. They stood upon their feet, a vast army. And then he goes on to say this, these dry bones, they're the people of God. They're Israel. Like they weren't literally dead in the sense of physically, but they were so spiritually dead. There was, as if they were dry bones to God. They were almost, they were useless. And God says, this is people of God. But he said, but I commit, I will come. Just read it for yourself. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But he says, I will come and I'm going to raise up my people. I'm going to breathe my breath of life into them. And they will be my people and I will be their God. And the idea of this, I, I recognize in this picture of what God was doing the family. Saying, he says, the church, the family, it's like they're dry bones. We know they're dry bones because people aren't coming off the streets to give their life to Jesus every day because we're living church and the body so well, right? Because we see the people of God in the New Testament doing powerful and amazing things and being doing church well and loving one another and sacrificing, right? And living in humility. People can't help but come to Christ. We're not doing church well because if we were doing a great job of being the family of God, we see crazy things happening. We are a valley of dry bones and God's commitment saying, but you are my family. And I believe he's saying, I want to breathe my breath of life into you and make you like an army for my purposes. 
The language of army is, is beautiful in that we understand an army. And if an army lives independent and in factions from one another, doing their own independent thing, nothing good happens. It's only as they come as a unified group with one goal in mind to fulfill the commander's commands and then going after with everything they have in them that they are successful. And God's coming in this language here in Ezekiel 37 saying, this is what I'm looking for with the army, the people of God that I'm breathing my breath into. They are living together as family. They're doing this shift with nuclear family. And now God's family. They see the purposes of God, the purposes of God, his kingdom. They're informing every decision that they're making as a family. The purposes of God define every decision that you make with your wife and your children. Do they? The things that you purchase, the trips that you take, the places that you go, the people that you talk to, the people that invite you into your home. The purposes of God define how we view family. Why? Because we are a vast army. We are a vast army. We are doing, what I believe God's doing is this idea of, that we are all in. We are all in with family. Church family. I don't mean your family. You're already all in with your family. I mean, you're all in fully engaging. You're discipling people who are younger than you and need a discipleship. You are loving those who are difficult to love. You are sacrificially giving to those who are in need because you have excess, right? That you are living your life and loving them and encouraging and speaking in life. You are, listen, that you are being the body. You are being Jesus to people that are around you and you're loving them. Because as we do that, as we are the church, crazy things, as we're all in, crazy things happen. As we are all in for the purposes of God, crazy things begin to happen. Togetherness. This is a word I want you to think about. Togetherness must define our view of family. Togetherness must define our view of being the church. We're shifting from this individual nuclear family as a priority to, to church family being priority. Does it mean that your personal life is not priority to you? No, of course not. But let me tell you something. And you can test me on this. And if I'm wrong, I will give you $1,000. Okay? Victor's right here in the front. He's got it right. He can write you a check right now, right? No, I've got $1,000. Listen, if you devote yourself to the purposes of God and to the family of God and your personal family does not get stronger, I will give you $1,000. Because let me tell you something. It's a kingdom principle. The more I give myself to the purposes of God in the context of bringing my family along with me in it, my family will automatically go deeper with Jesus. You say, Steve, if I begin to give myself away to people in my family, that means I'm not giving myself away to my children. Let me tell you a secret. This is a little equation. If all of a sudden you and six families decided to live truly as this context of family and you're giving your life away to all of them and they're now giving their life all the way to you, your parents now have 12 other parents and how many brothers and sisters that come alongside and be Jesus to them? Do you see what I'm getting at? It's like all of a sudden, man, like six, seven families right there. Seven's a holy number. Seven of us start doing life together. All of a sudden, man, my children start getting disciplined and encouraged and given life and blessed to get a lot more birthday presents and Christmas presents, right? From all, man, life is so much better for them. 
Because they're living in family together. Oh my gosh, God begins to move. And all of a sudden, I'm not just, I'm not just catering to them. I'm saying, hey, we're going to go serve down here at the soup kitchen. And all of a sudden, they begin to realize, my gosh, I'm really selfish. I just probably start giving my life away. It's not all about me anymore. Christmas gifts, let me give them all away. I don't need them. How can I give them away? Do you see what I'm getting at? We live in the context of the family of God fulfilling his purposes. Our families are going to be okay. They're going to be okay. Shift from nuclear family as priority to church family being priority. Timothy named our, our vision community transformation. What if we embraced these ideas of family, doing family, being the church, doing church, loving one another, encouraging, encouraging and, and challenging and praying for and loving and, and literally devoting ourselves to one another in this biblical way, all of a sudden transformation would begin to happen all around us. Tim Keller said this, the real task of Christians is to be the church rather than to transform the world. Here we get to show the world a certain type of life the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. Simply this, the church changes the world as we function as the church, as the family of God. How do we know this? Well, we saw Jesus gave us a great scientific test case in the book of Acts. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Have you ever been challenged for the first Let's just name the first four chapters. Have you ever been challenged when you've read the first four verses, first first four chapters of Acts? Have you ever been challenged by it? Because you know what the church did? They simply were the church and thousands were added to their number. It was crazy. Every day they had the favor of the people and people were continually added to their number. It was amazing. The beautiful test case we, of seeing the church, of being the church, being family, right? It's a beautiful, for the upcoming weeks, we're going to dive into the book of Acts. We're going to, listen, some of your churches and your past have told you it's a theoretical, it's a theoretical, it was a once in a lifetime thing, those things can never happen again. Really? Is that what we've gotten to, that we've lessened God's ability to the point we don't think he can do stuff like that anymore? May it not be so. May we believe that what God, that God never changes, and what he's done in the past, he will continue to do forever. The book of Acts, it's beautiful, right? The church being the church. So let me give you a kind of Cliff Notes version of the first four chapters we'll dive into later. In, the, in chapter 1, verse 14, the disciples came together as one. They prayed together, they ate together, they met together, they pursued God together. Then in chapter 2, God poured his spirit out upon them. The end of chapter two, thousands came to Christ. Those who came to Christ fully embraced the call to family. We see it in 242 and beyond by loving one another well, sacrificing of themselves, praying often together, giving in, growing in the knowledge of Scripture, and the community around them was transformed. That's Cliff Notes version. Go read it for yourself and see if I'm wrong. All right. Those who came to Christ had this. All of a sudden, they embraced this family that says, "Listen, I told you before." The apostles never asked them to bring all of their money and resources and dump them at their feet to give away. The, disciples, the apostles one day were sitting there having a conversation probably about Jesus, maybe about fishing. Maybe it was a fishing conversation, or I don't know. And all of a sudden, this mass people came, a, a small group came to their feet and said, here's all of our money. 
Here are all of our resources. We sold our property. Can you give it to, do you know someone in need? And they went, oh, yes. <laughs> right? They never asked for it. They didn't sit up on Sunday morning and have three offerings to get money from people. They didn't ask it for, they never asked for it, really. They just brought it to them. God did the work. Why? Because people, when they gave their lives to Jesus, they realized it wasn't just to get out of hell. It was to be the family of God. And so they became the family of God. They began to relate to one another. They were together. They shared their resources. And all of a sudden, people from the outside looked in and said, that is amazing. I want that. And they came in and said, how can we get what you have? And they say, it's real simple. Jesus Christ must become a Lord of your life. And when he does that, he brings you into family. And once you then come a part of the family, all of these things become yours. That's a pretty good selling point. And so thousands kept on coming to Jesus. This is the miracle of Acts. And it all begins with their togetherness. It all begins with their togetherness. This idea of spiritual family. You see, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus comes to his disciples, the 11, because Judas is now gone. Judas is scary. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promise. Right? Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. I want to have this gift for you. I have this, this thing that's going to empower you to be family. I'm going to give you this thing that's going to empower you to, to live on mission. It's going to empower you to do discipleship well. Right? It's going to empower you to live life and do the things I've called you to do. So Jesus' desire is clear. He wants to pour the Spirit. So in verse 12 through 14, we'll pick it up here. In chapter 1 of Acts, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. From the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they together went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with Jesus' brothers. I love this phrase here in verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. All joined together constantly. Some of your, your versions of Scripture will say all with one mind or, or in one accord. But it's this picture of togetherness. And it denotes harmony. Harmony of their views. A harmony of their feelings. There were no schisms, no divided interests, no conflicting purposes. So we see this, this beautiful picture of devotion to God and devotion to one another. They're, they're the family. They've had tension. They argued just days before about who was the greatest among them. But now they're sitting here saying, we have one purpose. Our values are clear. We're going after the purposes of God. We're waiting for the promise of his Holy Spirit. And we are one in mind, one in action, one in thought. We're coming together. Beautiful picture of this togetherness, of living their life together, being together, being family, doing family. With one of those. And do you know, I mean, you know that some of them were married with kids, right? And we know that Jesus came and healed Peter's mother-in-law. It wasn't a spiritual mom-in-law. He, had a practice. he was literally married. Did he have kids? Scripture's really it's silent on that, but he could have. Other disciples could have had kids and were married too. We don't really know. They had nuclear families. And they're living for the purposes of God in relationship with one another. Going after the purposes of God and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. These words define. Listen, there's some words I want you to see from this that we can take from this that define their togetherness. Number one is unanimous. Unanimous. 
They were all together. There was, inten- there was an intention to be all together. Listen, it wasn't a few of them together. It was all of them. They were unanimous in being there together. Listen, an overlooked secret of the early church is the picture of just doing things together, of being together, sharing together, doing life together. They were united together in prayer, united together in purpose, united together in obedience to God. They were unanimous. They were all in this Together. The second word is harmonious. Harmonious. They were all joined together constantly. The Greek word here is hamathamadon. Hamathamadon. It's it's kind of defined this phrase here. It's a musical term that means to strike the same notes together. Harmony. Striking the same notes together. So let's just say that I could play the keys. And I got up here today behind this nice red, white, and black Georgia Colors keyboard, right? And I started playing. There's no right. Right? All of a sudden, you're like, what do you become aware of? You become aware of the disharmony between the notes that I'm playing. I've got the. And what's the one thing you talk about when you leave? Oh my gosh, you're Steve, that hear that. Did you hear that? Oh my gosh, that got so annoying. I couldn't even worship because of that. Ah, got to fix that. He needs to practice more, right? Because when we're playing and I go, the thing that causes disharmony becomes the thing that you become most aware of. And in the church, aren't we really good at being the ant? Because we've got people who in the moment, right, they have bad attitudes. They're really good at finger pointing. They're really good at gossip. They're really good at slander. They're really good at pity parties. It's like, oh, woe is me. Nobody loves me, right? They're throwing temper tantrums in the spirit. I mean, that's what we call them. temper tantrums in the spirit, whatever it is, right? How is it's unhealthy secrets, right? This, this disconnect. We're not nice to one another. And what happens? Disharmony. But the disciples are all together. Listen. You know, from reading scripture, if you ever read it, Peter and John did not get along. I mean, just go read the New Testament. They, listen, they were hyper competitive. I mean, at one point, Jesus and John are taking a walk together and Peter's like sneaking behind so we can hear what they're talking about. I mean, it's so funny. Listen, there's not harmony. There was no harmony. Jesus died, resurrected, and all of a sudden, harmony defined their purpose of going after the things of God. Do you have any things that make you the of the body? Do you? Do you spend more time frustrated with people or something that you hear or what people have to say? Or you live more, you live frustrated more than you do loving well? The call is not to be, Jesus does not say, love God and be frustrated with your neighbor. Just love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, that's the harmony of the body of Christ. That I'm not living frustrated all the time. That's a sign of immaturity. And it's a sign of brokenness. And it's a sign that you need healing. Because you have a spirit of rejection that has defined so much of who you are. If you live more time frustrated and talking about people, you have a spirit of rejection that's literally blinding you from the truth of being the family of God. We can pray for that.
and you need to. Because I don't want eh in the body of Christ. You know why? You know why I know we have lots of eh in the body of Christ? Because people aren't flooding into our four walls to give their lives to Jesus. Third word is continuous. Continuous. It's real simply. They were all together constantly. This word has in mind. Listen, I love this. This word has in mind this continuous constantly has in mind obstinate determination. Come hell or high water. So, so, so and so was mean to me. Well, who cares? This is my family. You know what you do when someone's mean to you? You forgive them and you keep on moving and don't hold it against them. How many times do you do it? Jesus, Peter says, well, I'll do it seven times. He goes, no, 70 times seven, which means an infinite number of times. I'm not living my life offended because I'm always forgiving those that are around me because they're broken just like I am. And if I'm going to expect them to be good at, good at forgiveness, then I better show forgiveness in all that I'm doing. If I want someone else in the body to love well, then I better be the one who's leading and loving well. I want someone to be my friend. Then we tell our kids, then be a friend and be awesome at it and be better than everybody else. I mean, listen, being the children of God, we have to learn the same lessons we teach our kids in kindergarten. If you want someone to be nice to you, you need to be nice to them. Seriously. And we're awful. We're better at eh in the church. Grow up. We have to grow up. Why? Because we, listen, this is the crazy part. We're God's only family. There's one family. That's it. One. One. And it's his only family that he can use to bring about his purposes of bringing his kingdom on earth as he's already spoken in heaven. And you listen, and this is something I said at nine o'clock and I thought it was from the Lord. So I'm going to say it here. If you think that you can live independent from people, then you're already dying. Because God is a relational God who, when Jesus' first act of being here was to put himself in the context of 12 other people to model for us that you can't do ministry and do life on your You have to be in community. You have to be engaged to the family of God. You have to give yourself to it and be an awesome family member and, and, and give and then receive also. So, Steve, why are we spending so much time talking about the family of God? Because I believe what we see here in this, in this model, this example in the book of Acts, is that everything began in that moment of drawing together as one, as the family, with harmony and in, in, in a unanimous way, in a continuous way of giving themselves together in family for the purposes of God, placing the family of God honestly before their own family at home. Now, I recognize that can be abused. And I know in a long time ago, people have done that. But do you hear the heart of what I'm getting at? So many of us in our culture, we put our kids here and our families here, and we balk at ever being obedient to God. And that's the heart of what I'm getting at, is that God says, the family of God that you're a part of, it informs everything else that you do. And as such, you must be 
in it, engaging it, encouraging it, and bringing your family along into it. Why? Because the first family, the church, the body, it's God's only chosen mechanism to bring his kingdom on earth and to fulfill his purposes. So let's end our time. I was going to read you a, I was going to read you a quote from a story, but I'm not going to read that to you. The church throughout history, there are many, many stories where the church throughout history has united in such a way that governments looked at it as a movement and said, we need to do what they're doing. Because what they're doing is changing their community. We at Vintage must be part of the family of God. We must engage family. Listen, when I say this, I'm not saying family of God and I mean vintage. To be honest with you, I'm looking at it. I've been, I was challenged this week. I felt like God was saying, Steve, if you really believe this, then how are you connecting with the other families of God around here? Because it takes a citywide church to win a citywide war. So I was really convicted by that. God, if this is true, then you're talking about all of us as churches having a level of working together. God, I'm humbled by that. I need to really pray into that. But the context for us here is vintage. God, what are we, how are we embracing family? How are we giving our life away? Who are we walking with? Who are we in community with? Who are we doing spiritual family with? God, how are we preferring you? How are we preferring family? As we go, we're going to go into a time of worship and prayer this morning, and I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to pray into what this looks like for you. Have you made your family an idol? So I you to pray into this and just allow God. Listen, please let God be honest with you instead of defending yourself coming into his presence. You ever do that? Like you always come in with a defense for what God may say? Don't do that. Come in with your heart clear before him. Saying, God, my time, my energy, my resources, everything about me, God, I give to you. How am I doing these areas? How are you doing in the, with family? Have you been burned? So I, I, got, I realized this when I, in the first service when I got done. I was talking to someone. I was like, oh, my gosh. This is going to land. As many people are here, are here, so 190 people, this message is going to land differently with all 190 of you, honestly. What that means and the baggage that you carry with this and the tensions that you have and the struggles that you have and the questions and the concerns that you have. So I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you, one, I invite you to go to Jesus and have a conversation about it because he wants to talk to you about it. Two, I want to encourage you to sit down with three other people who you believe love Jesus as much as you do or more and have a conversation about this. If you're part of an all-in group, not this, not this week, possibly, but the next, the next, next couple of weeks, you'll be discussing this message and processing through these because I just believe this. I believe it begins with the family of God being the family of God. Because when the family of God, the church is the church, the family is the family. And we invite God into the, and, and, and we're two or more gathered in his name. He's there. Jesus then draws all men to himself and women. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to us. Father, we ask that you would. Be honest with us about where we are, with our struggles with family. God, I pray you would create a lot of questions, Father, in this. 
Lord, some of us are going to have so many questions that we're going to think it's confusion. And you're going to have, but God's not the author of confusion. Well, no, but God, you are the author of questions that cause us to think and that cause us to be honest. And I pray in the midst of the questions that you give us, I pray you'd give us peace so we can process each of them. Because my belief is, God, that you've been speaking to a lot of us and so many of us about this for so long that you've listed questions over the last 10 years we've never actually landed on. And so they're just still festering in our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray today that you, with your grace and your compassion, your love for us, you'd begin to just put your finger on the very first question that we need to ask and have answered by you. Father, for those who came today struggling and in need, I pray, Father, that you would meet them. God, those today, Lord, who feel like they're dying, I pray that you would come with light. God, I pray for those today who are not part of your family. Because they've never made you Lord of their life. And you've, they have not made you the Father. You're, they have not made you their spiritual Father. Lord, I pray today that you would open up their heart and their mind. They would see, they would sense you wooing them to you. And that, Father, you would bring salvation today. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to ask you just to respond as the Lord leads. Some of you need to come to the altar and, and just say, God, I'm sorry. Some of you just need to come to the altar because you just need to respond some way and you can come pray. Some of you, we have ministry teams on both sides. They're making their way there right now. You can just come to them and they would love to come alongside and, and pray for you. And pray with you the things that you're wrestling with. If you came this morning to, with an offering, the baskets are here. We invite you to do that this morning. We're coming to worship through the off, through excuse me, through um, through communion. Have communion available. But God, I want you just to pray into what does it mean for us, our family, to put the family of God first. And Jesus, what are the first steps that we need to take? To do that. I'm not asking you to sell all of your possessions and bring them to my feet so I can disperse them. I'm not asking you that. All I'm asking you to do is to say, God, where am I on the journey? And what's the next step that we as a family need to take into the spiritual family of God so that our family can be about fulfilling the purposes of God? You respond as the Lord leads. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come quickly. You will be done the same. Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom. Come quickly, your will be done the same. 
Bye. 